Dear Father, we do ask that you would speak to us this evening. Uh, please speak to us through your word and help us to, be, to not remain uh, unchanged by it. Amen. Amen. Well, I do have uh, James uh, to open in front of you. When I used to work in politics, it was always very interesting to see which uh, politicians would claim to be Christians. Uh, it could also be quite disheartening at, at times. MPs would appear on the radio or in a Christian, mag- a Christian, a Christian magazine, uh, and they'd be extolling the virtues of Jesus. But, and that's all great, but then the next day, they'd start to vote for greater gambling rights, or for same-sex marriage, or something like that, and you think... How are you holding these? You know, how are you holding these different kind of these kind of spiritual tenets uh, together? How, how does this work? So their words didn't always manifest themselves in um, Bible-believing actions. And James is one of my favourite books in the Bible. It's full of practical advice on how a Christian uh, faith should be worked out. It's packed uh, full of guidance, and it doesn't uh, pull any punches when it comes to challenging ill thought through uh, Christian behaviour. Uh, With that in mind, and I'm sure it might have been covered already, but I thought I'd I'd just cover it again because it's always helpful. I thought I'd begin uh, this evening with just a small health warning because over the years, uh, James has often been accused of putting practical works over and above a simple Christian faith and as if we we have to earn our salvation uh, with Jesus. And this this simply isn't the case. Uh, James simply uh, says that a true Christian will demonstrate the, the fruit of their, con- their conversion by, by acting in a, in a certain manner. And of course, you know, we will fail, but it's, it's, helpful to remi- it's helpful to remember that James is not saying that in order to be a Christian, we must do X. Rather, a Christian will do X because of what God has, has already done in, in us. For as we'll see, uh, next time, faith without works is dead. Genuine faith in Christ leads to good works. So we're not saved by works, but we are saved by grace through faith in Christ for good works. Which is, you know, which here is to, to love your neighbour, which is everyone, as yourself, whether they are rich or poor. So I have two points tonight. My first point is don't deny the faith. <clears throat> One key theme which comes up repeatedly in James is, is that of humility. Uh, before God and before each other. Humility the, you know, being the opposite of pride means it is critical we remember our place uh, before God. And remembering that this book was supposed to be read as a single letter, I'd like to take us back just a few sentences and we're going to kick off uh, chapter 1 verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I think verse 27 here starts this evening's passage off quite well. Uh, James begins by telling us that we ought to be looking after the poor, that we ought to be visiting them, and I presume providing something uh, for their means to help meet their needs as well. And why why, why should we be spending our our time doing this? Because James says it is part and parcel of holding faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who 
who shares in his father's glory. If we, if we have no care for the poor, for the needy and the vulnerable, do we, do we really share in, in Jesus' glory? Do we share our master's love uh, for the world? Have a think about uh, any number of Old Testament passages. Uh, for example, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 14, uh, verses 28 and following, uh, we read this. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithes of your produce in the same year and lay it up uh, within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. You've got Psalm uh, 68 verse 5 as well. God describes himself as the, the father of the fatherless, the, the protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. <coughs> we could look at how God responds to his people when, when they have not looked after uh, the more needy in society. If you have a look at Ezekiel 22, it says, Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst, the fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. So God clearly cares for, for the poor and the vulnerable. God does not want to see his people, the church, mirroring the wider world. We are supposed to be a place where his love, God's love for the oppressed, uh, is manifested. Now, obviously, Christians, can, Christians have, have different views on that. Some people do take it so far that they... They only look after people's material needs. They don't tell them the gospel. You've got other people then who take it the other way. And I think sometimes as evangelicals, we're, we're slightly more in that camp that we'll, tell pe- we'll, we'll meet people's spiritual needs, but then actually we, we have neglected their physical needs as well. So somehow we have to, we have to kind of try, and, try to get to uh, the middle and, and do both and put our money where our mouth is. Let's take a look at verse 1 again of the passage. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor poor man and not the rich ones who oppress you, so are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you are called? So James directly uh, applies God's love for the poor and asks us how we measure up, treating people differently uh, based upon our own feelings or prejudices has no place in the life of a believer. Note that we are not told that the spiritual state, what the spiritual state of the visitors is. We don't know exactly where they are uh, uh, with God. Um, I think we can probably assume that uh, they probably are believers. If you look at verse four, he. 
James talks about among yourselves, so it might be a case that they are actually yeah, believers from somewhere else. But I think the passage encourages us to treat them as the same, no matter where they are. We shouldn't assume one's a believer and one, one is not. And neither does James say that there is never an occasion when one person ought to give up, ought not to give up their seat for another. For example, in the case of age or ability, it might be appropriate uh, to give up a seat. And some people's social standing might mean that you might wish to give them your seat. If Her Majesty the Queen decided to pop by uh, this evening, mm-hmm. I'm, I do not expect we'd ask her to stand over there somewhere, would we? Somebody would be willing to give up their seat. However, let us take this as a case of two normal people visiting a normal church on a normal Sunday. According to James, it looks like the New Testament church has been going exactly against God's will for the poor, and it's been discriminating against uh, the more needy. It looks like those who God looks upon more favourably are being sidelined because the church is keener to woo the rich visitors. Now what should we make of this? It could be that sinful Christians are simply attracted to people who look and smell a bit nicer than other people. Alternatively, we know that James was written at a time when persecution was growing. The church might have been wanting to try and woo some richer visitors to get more money to defend itself against local authorities and have a greater chance of survival. We don't know. Um, What we do know is that God does not approve of how the the rich person has been prioritised. Now I think it's helpful to add another caveat here, that God does not view rich people as inherently more sinful than poor people. If you look at many of the people God uses through the Bible, Abraham, Job, Solomon, they all had a lot of wealth, they were used in many different ways and powerful ways uh, by God. However, it can be said as a general rule that God shows particular favour for those who are nearer the bottom of the pile in life. It doesn't really matter, though, because God views any such discrimination on our part as though we are appointing ourselves judges with evil thoughts. Now, can we be like this today? Our context is is very different. But... I think we can still be seen as showing guilty, uh, being being guilty of showing favouritism to others. Now, personally speaking, as someone who has only been coming to Bethel for a couple of years, I actually think that Bethel is a very friendly and and welcoming church, and uh, I think we do a lot of things right when it comes to talking to visitors. However, I think there are still times when we, you know, when we can be tempted to stand in little groups, uh, talking to the people that we find the easiest. There are still times when people stand by themselves, whilst others rush past uh, pretending to be busy. And that's, that's not right. Do we still have our, our inner circle of friends who we prefer to speak to? Do we only invite particular people to lunch? It doesn't matter if you find someone difficult to talk to because they're different to you. We are all one in Christ, and we all need to talk to someone now and again, don't we? We can all get lonely. So how, how dare we decide who is worth investing in and who, who is not? And sometimes it might, it might not even be that we just we feel like you know, we find somebody just too difficult to talk to. Sometimes in the past, sometimes I, I struggle with talking to somebody who I think is maybe 
much more good looking or much more kind of able than I am, I think, actually, I've, I've got nothing to offer this person to talk to, so I'd rather not talk to them. And then that, that's still a form of pride, it's just the, the other way around. I prefer, prefer to speak to somebody who I feel comfortable uh, talking to. As well as um, having uh, think about, as well, I thought about having. Do we have? A, do we sit up, think about where we sit on a Sunday? Do you, we ever choose to sit next to somebody who we don't know or we find hard to talk to? And then sometimes, do we sit somewhere where it actually makes harder it harder for a visitor to find a space? Sometimes, for example, we sit on the end of an empty row, and then all of a sudden, if a visitor comes in, they go, "Actually, where, where am where am I going to sit in here?" Because we haven't. They haven't considered what it would be like for an outsider to try and have to squeeze past people uh, to sit down. So let's always try and bear in mind those who are more needy than ourselves, those who need who we who need who we need to be welcomed wholeheartedly into our fellowship. And what does James say happens when we honour the rich more than the poor man in church? Let's go back to verse five. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him but you have dishonoured the poor man are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you were called so according to James by acting favourably to the rich man we are actually we are, we are dishonouring the, the poor man and what, what kind of witness does this present to the wider world? Well, it makes us look exactly the same as them. People sometimes come into church looking for help. It might manifest itself in all sorts of ways. Material needs, emotional distress, loneliness. If we ignore them or make them feel sidelined, their only exposure to God's kingdom might actually be a pretty disappointing one. However, on top of this, James says, it's the rich people who are taking you to court for your faith and blaspheming against God. They're the arrogant ones. Why are you choosing to be chummy with them? Why are you seeking to befriend some of the very people who seek to discredit the gospel because you know, they're the rich, intellectually, intellectually proud people? God deliberately calls many poor people to himself to overturn our values. In the world... If you're rich, you're important. If you're rich, you have access to things, to people, to places, to, to opportunities. So God deliberately calls the poor to show the world that our riches and connections make no difference to him. The only way in with God, the only access to being one of God's people is to admit our spiritual poverty and come with everyone else to the cross of Jesus for mercy. And that is, that is the ground level. And James says, how dare we unlevel the ground again and accept and love one another preferentially? The church has got it all wrong. So let's recalibrate our thinking. Firstly, remember Jesus, who came down to the lowest levels to rescue us. If our faith rests on him, then how should we behave? And remember as well our new position in Christ's family. How are we going to portray the new family resemblance? And so what should our attitude to worldly wealth be?
Well, we spent a lot of time so far looking at what not to do. Um, <clears throat> my next point is the royal law. And now, so James turns what we've looked at into a more positive command in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You are doing well. This command is so important. It has been named the royal law. It, has a, it clearly has a special place in God's heart, the king. When we love others like we love ourselves, when we value somebody else's happiness as equal to our own, then we can say we are living up to Jesus' commandments. Verse 9. If you show partiality, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. transgressors. For whoever <coughs> keeps the law, uh, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you commit adultery, but do not murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Sorry. So favouritism has no place within God's kingdom. It has no place within our church. If we show partiality, then we are indeed guilty of, of breaking the law as a, as a whole. It's a little bit like if you have uh, a big brick versus a stone. You can throw either at a window, and it doesn't matter how you know, which one it is. They're both going to break the window, and you know, you've, broken, you've broken the law. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you've just shown whether you've killed somebody or whether you have just shown partiality to somebody. Both are, yeah, are equally serious in God's sight. So look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. You see, we, we are free to live a whole new way. We are freed from having to, from, we're freed from having to show favoritism. We are free from having to, to play the game in order to be accepted into God's kingdom. God's love is such that the king came down to earth and laid his crown aside so that you and I could be welcomed in. And how we need to embody that in West Yorkshire uh, today, how we need to embody that love. In a time where people constantly compete against one another, uh, how we need to demonstrate that God's love transcends the world, uh, just sorry, transcends what the world can, can offer by itself. So we are free to live without fear of the law. But remember, again now, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy uh, to one who has shown no mercy. If we do not demonstrate mercy uh, and love for others, it's like us saying to God, I don't, I don't need your mercy. You know, I don't need your love. It doesn't, it doesn't apply to me. So be careful, James said, about how you act. Always remember that it is with grace alone that you are where you are. If we truly appreciate that we ourselves have been what we have ourselves have been saved from, how could we possibly treat other people with partiality? Now we're all going to fail in this area, aren't we? Now and again, uh, sadly, none of us can avoid disobedience to our heavenly Master. No one will ever consistently show no favoritism at all. Uh, so I think it's good that then that James ends this section with mercy triumphs over judgment there in verse 13. Let us be people filled with mercy for our fellow men and women. Let us draw comfort from God too, who delights in showing mercy to his people through Christ, 
wherever we are at the moment, we can we have to remember that we can still come back to God. We can come back to him asking for forgiveness and he will fill us afresh with his spirit. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for uh, your word and for the chance to dwell on it now. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us our sins. Forgive us when we have not treated others as we would treat ourselves. Lord, please help us to see people in the same way that you see us, sinners in need of a saviour. Uh, we ask that you would give us your love and the fortitude to share it with others who need uh, to know you for themselves. Lord, we pray that you would guard us against the sin of partiality. We, we ask that you'd help us as a church to look for ways to, to welcome people in and to remember that it is through your grace that uh, we can stand before you. We pray that we would seek to share it with as many people as we can and that Bethel might be a church where people in the area uh, know it for the love that we show to each other and to those who come and visit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Amen.